everybody. Welcome to Busy Living So Bomb. Busy Living So Bomb. Busy Living. My daughter's staring at me. Welcome to episode 166. 166 episodes. Can you believe that? No, that's a lot. It's a lot. It's like three years worth. Is that crazy? It's crazy. It's pretty kooky. It's pretty kooky. I'm really excited because I have my daughter here who really didn't want to do this because, let's face it, who wants to go to a podcast with their mom during a pandemic? But I begged her to do it, and she said yes. Didn't you? Yeah, I did. I'm happy to be here. I mean, it's not like I'm doing anything else. Oh, that's so nice. You have nothing better to do. Well, I want to do a big congratulations. <laughs> so this Friday would have been Hadley's graduation from college. Yeah, would have. The College of Charleston graduate. My daughter is a graduate of college. Yes. Yes, I am. It's pretty wild. I mean, it was a really, it's a tumultuous journey, but, you know, I'm here. It's a little, um, it's a little, um, it's a little bit less exciting than I hoped it would have been. This was about the week when everything that was going to happen that was exciting and celebratory would have happened. There was going to be this big party at the college. There was going to be, um... The big gay garden party held by the LGBT alumni, um, the religious studies uh, uh, drinks on the porch, or we got to hang, would have gotten to hang out with all of our professors. Um, yeah, so it's kind of bittersweet. I wish that I wasn't here. No offense, because I love you very much, but I wish that I was able to do all those big monumentous things, monumental things that. Um, come with the traditional ending of a college uh, career. It is. It's a total bummer. And, you know, I want to touch on a couple things. I want to first bring up that it's Mental Health Awareness Month in May, and we are at the beginning of the month, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. All right. All right. So we'll talk about that. And, um, you know, addiction falls into the – addiction is like the umbrella for addiction and mental health um, goes – that's actually focused on the week of the, of the 12th, which I think is next week, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Or two weeks from now. No, it's next week. Okay. Because Mother's Day is this weekend. Yeah, Mother's Day. The, oh, it's the 10th this weekend. Craziness. Yeah. So, Hadley, you're here. You're in the pandemic. And, you know, the reality is is that you graduated from high school. I did graduate from high school. I also graduated from college. And she's also graduated from college. But going to college, for those that are out there listening, wasn't the easiest transition, was it? Not for me, no. I, I struggled with it for a while. I, I did. It was, it was difficult finding my footing in a completely new environment and kind of creating, creating myself outside of the contexts that I had traditionally like defined myself as, like being a family member of the Chance family or being, um, being a rower, for instance, and being separated from all my friends and all those grounding forces that I had at home. And I struggled with finding, um, I struggled with finding my footing and I struggled a lot with mental illness, especially the second semester of my freshman year. Going into like a good portion of my sophomore year, I struggled, but um, I started to get more comfortable and find my footing more as I got deeper into my college career. And then once I got into my senior year, I really found myself being really more in it, and I, it was easier to deal with my mental health 
So you kind of bloomed. Yeah, I would say that. I'd say I came. I have certainly come into my own, and I find a lot more confidence in myself and in who I am and in making definitive statements, not just in, like, in the definition of self, but making definitive statements in general. And not to go on a gender woman and I'm a for those who don't know I'm a woman in gender studies and religious studies double major or I was graduated with those degrees um and it's often talked about how women in the academic environment are less likely to make definitive statements because making definitive outright statements tends to go against our femininity we tend to kind of be more reclusive in ourselves um, and more reliant on other other people to make these definitive statements. But as I've gone through my college career, I've really found myself being steadfast in my beliefs and being able to make those wide sweeping statements that I certainly wasn't able to make growing up, whether it was for a lack of confidence or for a whole milieu of reasons. And you were growing up. And the reality is you grew up in a bubble. Yeah. Oh, certainly. I mean, we grew up in a town that's literally, I think it might be like, I think it's five square miles maybe. I don't think. It's five square miles and it's a lot of concentrated, um, a lot of concentrated wealth. It's a lot of, it's, it's a lot of concentrated wealth. It's a lot of privilege and... It's also from a really, really uh, different and positive education environment. Like I was, whenever I tell my friends about uh, being in Soundings, which was an alternative learning program within my middle school that um, allowed you to die, Soundings being diving deeper and deeper um, in the ocean is what the traditional term means, but we took it as being... um, able to dive into whatever subjects we want as deep as we could. And my all my friends were like, you had that kind of program offered and you could like use all these resources that weren't necessarily offered to like my friends who went to school in South Carolina, which is number 48 in um, education, I believe, might be 47. But uh, so those were all factors that really kind of rung in my experience as um as a college freshman coming from an extremely affluent environment into an environment that still had facets of that concentrated wealth but and the those education systems but certainly was not the same and it's interesting because when you do, you can see the comparisons. And I think when we're growing up, we think, oh, this, this is the worst. Oh, my gosh, I have the worst. You know, I, I, if we make it out to be the worst thing it is. And then you leave and you're like, oh, my God, in hindsight, looking back 2020, it's like, oh, my gosh, I was so lucky. Even though we by far did not live in the biggest house. We by far did not live in the nicest neighborhood in the whole place. We, um, but we, we managed. But the, the nicest, the, the part that we lived in, which still wasn't the nicest part, is nicer than a lot of places in the United States and around the globe. So I think that we need to check our privilege with that as well. And so tell me this. So with what has gone on, so you, you managed, and how did you manage? Leave, you left the bubble, you went on to this college, 
you went and you started a life there and it was difficult, but you managed. And how did you do it without giving up? Because I think that's like the best part of the story is that you didn't give up, even though you really wanted to many times. I can say, I can attest that you did. Yeah, no, I, I thought about transferring a lot. And I honestly, for like my first two years, I just kind of counted down the times when I was going to transfer. I was going to leave my second semester of my sophomore year. But I don't know. It just, something inside me was just like, I just gotta, I just gotta stay. I gotta try it out. I gotta, I, my thought process usually was, well, it probably isn't going to get better anywhere else. And at least here I have uh, my own free will where I can go and do things of my own volition. And so I got a therapist, which was great, very necessary. And I got a really good support system with my friends. And I, um, and then it was also in that semester, which I, I just, I'm just reflecting on this now, but it was in that semester that I first took uh, probably the two most important classes of my college career in influence academically. Um, I took Intro to World Religions, which was the first class that made me be like, oh my God, I want to study this, this wild beast of sociology, history, spirituality, um, and how we just define our social constructs within um, these uh, religions. Um, I was like, I just want to study this forever. This is the coolest thing. And I also took a class uh, called Black Women Writers with focus on femini feminist voodoo aesthetics. And so that was a historical context that uh, was uh, completely unknown to me. I had no idea about the erasure of black women's history and um, how a lot of black, I mean, black women even today still don't have a proper voice, but there was so much work to be done um, by these women who reclaimed these stories as their own and were able to look at um, black women of the past who are iconic, like Tituba from the Crucible, or who is in the Crucible, but she was a real enslaved woman in Salem. Um, we read I, Tituba, we read um, The Diary of Marie Laveau, and it was these women of the 20th and 21st century reclaiming the stories of women who they related to in the past and were able to claim the stories and tell them as their own rather than the stories being in this paradigm of, like, white male perspective. And it was just the most powerful class. And I just really, it, it really shaped me as an academic and as someone um, in the world in general. So I love that. As you can hear, my daughter is very passionate about what she majored in and very passionate about getting into that field. So with that, now when you went to school, how did you not, being feeling as sad and isolated and, and depressed as you were, you sought help. You got a, you went and you got a, psych, a psychologist yeah. to help you out. And how did you, did you, and now we're going to go to the, because busy living sober is all about being sober and living mm -hmm. a life that's sober. Um, did you, did you turn to alcohol and drugs at all? Um, 
Alcohol has never been my drug of choice. I don't like how it makes me feel like I'm losing control. I think that growing up in a household where both parents identified as alcoholics, maybe one a little later than the other, but um, I think growing up in that household and in that environment immediately made me wary of participating in alcohol and being hyper aware of my own personal practices with alcohol. So if I ever turned to it for comfort at any point, I would be like, I don't think this is a good idea. I don't think that I want to do this. I don't think I want to go down this road. Um, and I would stop. Um, so drinking has never really been a problem for me. Um, well, you're aware because we've been transparent about it your whole life. Yes. Yeah. Because, yes, as I said, because I was raised in this environment where I'm aware and like, a, whereas like a lot of my peers might not be as socially aware of the dangers of alcoholism because it's perpetuated in society to be this like monolithic must do thing of youth and in life. How many shows just like have like women drinking bottles and bottles of wine and men drinking dark, dark alcohols every day, every hour. Characters with just their uh, drinks in their hands. And that's who we look to. We look to the people who are portrayed in media. So that has... And you never fell into it because you had this warning and you were like, oh my God, I can see where it can take you. Yes, exactly. And your genetic disposition yeah. could definitely go there. Yeah. Okay, so, so I just alcohol never wasn't it. Okay, alcohol so. wasn't it. Um, I, I didn't really get into smoking uh, weed until probably my sophomore year when I got really into it. Um and I would always go, like, once the school year hit, I would go on, and I'd go on. And um, then the summer would hit, and I'd be at summer camp, so I would never um, I would never smoke at summer camp. So I'd have two months off, and I wouldn't need it anymore. But I don't know. There were times, especially in my sophomore and junior years, where I would wake and bake, and then... Um, I'd never go to class high unless I had to, which was only for one class. But um, that was because it did help with my anxiety at the time. Uh, but also, as we grow older and as our brains mature, I think that potentially we shift our behaviors. And as our mental health changes, our reactions to these drugs change. And so, I don't know, somewhere during my senior year, it started to be... I never really... So junior year, I was pretty fine with the amount that I was smoking. I was probably smoking too much. I would smoke in the middle of the day, and uh, then I would stop. I, that's a lie. I wouldn't stop. I'd probably smoke in the middle of the day, like, every day. Like, hit noon, it was time to go. Um, and in my senior year, I started to get more sick of it, and it started to make me more paranoid and started to make my mental health worse rather than better. And so I started to space away from it, and I would only smoke in the evenings, and I would only smoke socially until I have recently, like a little before coronavirus, mostly in the second semester, I've tried to phase it out of my daily practice and out of my life in general. So I would take like month-long breaks and then like ease back in and then another month-long break. We're on a pretty long break right now, which is great. And... Uh, it's interesting. It's a it's a nice relieving force, but sometimes you just get trapped into the cycle 
of just being high and then getting higher because you don't want to come down because the the action of coming down is exhausting um makes you feel really groggy and weird and there's that other form of lack of control that isn't as scary I find as with alcohol and like I find that the effects of alcohol are much more prominent and much worse at least for me um but with smoking it's like I'm chilling, I'm chilling, I'm chilling, I'm paranoid. I'm full of anxiety. I get a really big wave of depression. And so I just didn't want to deal with it anymore. And so I stopped and I'm stopping right now. Who's to say I won't come back to it, but I am not really willing to when I feel as though it compromises my mental health. And if I ever get to the point where I can manageably smoke and I can manageably participate in this activity without jeopardizing my mental health, I would certainly consider going back to it. But at this point, I would not. And it's interesting because just like with alcoholism, it's kind of like they all fall under the same umbrella. And, uh, you know, I was talking, I have a podcast going up on Thursday with this woman. She's amazing. Her name's Lucy and she's been sober for 30 years. And we were talking about how, you know, once you become a pickle, you can't go back to becoming a cucumber. So when you go to that place, and I can't tell you what to do because I feel like, and I want to talk about this a little bit, is being somebody's mother who, you know, knows what everything, what alcohol, what addiction is. Sorry, our dog is barking. Oh, my gosh. Stop. They need to go outside. Um, sorry, this is how campy we are. We even have our dogs barking, don't we, Hadley? Mm-hmm. Our dogs are figuratively and literally barking. <laughs> They're like, they'd love to just get around us all the time. But not to digress. So, you know, I know about these things, and I've been talking to you about the addiction piece for a long time, have I not? Yeah, but you talk about it with everyone because you constantly insinuate that every one of your children is going to be an alcoholic <laughs> or going to be an addict, and I don't think that's necessarily fair. But continue. So, it's, and, and but I haven't like gone and been like, oh my God, I'm going to go put you in a rehab or I'm going to do this or anything like, well, maybe I have said that a couple of times, but I never really, she never thought I think I was really going to do it. Um, but we're just, you know, right now with this pandemic, she hasn't been able to do those things. I mean, they were there at one point and now there's no, you can't even find it now. I mean, you I think you could? I think that if I wasn't in Florida, I absolutely could. I don't think that it's really affected the THC industry all that much, I'm going to be honest. Um, it's not as much of an availability thing as it's a choice thing. Okay. But I find. Like, I don't... Just because it's available to me does not mean that I have to go into it and that I have to do it. Just because, say, my friends are smoking, um, it doesn't mean that I have to participate or that I'm any less of a participant. Like, I don't really find that that's, that that's a really big factor, the availability. I find that it's a switch. I don't know if you have this, but I find that I have this kind of switch in my brain where I can just kind of be like, well... I've had all of these negative aspects, and I've gotten just really, really sick of it. I'm going to stop, and I've switched flips. So I don't really find that it's an availability thing as much as it's a willpower thing for me personally. 
not not trying to devalue um, those who it's not because alcoholism and addiction in general is something that your body demands um, and that your body like your body literally demands it of you and it is a mental thing of of like that will lapsing like that is completely valid um I uh where is it going um and that's completely valid I think that I definitely have that potential but I also think that because Weed, yes, while you can absolutely be mentally addicted, and I'm definitely not refuting that. I've experienced the mental addiction. Um, it isn't physically addictive. Well, that's out for way. debate, I think. I don't, as from all the studies that I've read about marijuana use, it's more of a mental... It's more of a mental addiction than a physical addiction because it doesn't affect your bodies in the same way as alcohol. Like when you stop drinking alcohol, when people come out are coming out of like a, a hangover, a lot of people say that the cure is another beer in the morning to take the edge off. And that's like just perpetuating the cycle of drinking and relying because it's, it is you being removed from drugs, whereas... With weed, the most you get is a little headache and slowly coming out of being high. So I think in that way, you don't have to perpetuate the, like, perpetuate the cycle for a literal alleviation of pain. Um, and that's why I would say that it's more of a mental addiction than a physical addiction. Because I don't wake up and smoke uh, because I... Because I need to, because I feel it coursing, because of all that. Uh, you don't have withdrawals. You don't have withdrawals, and I think withdrawals are a big factor of addiction. So what other tools, if somebody's out there, would you recommend using rather than smoking when you're feeling the anxiety and feeling, you know, the, the depression? What other tools did you use besides smoking? I'm a big proponent of writing. Um, I really enjoy writing, um, writing and reading. And um, I find myself throwing myself into my academics, which I'm going to have to figure out what to do next because um, I won't have that. I mean, GRE, baby. But other than that, I'm just going to have to figure out how to throw myself into um, other things. Um, but writing, writing out the feelings or writing about something completely different making lists of positive things. Um, like a gratitude list? Like a gratitude list or making a plan or a to-do list that's easily fulfilled. Like making, like get up, make your bed, send that email, and then the check marks slowly give you back a sense of self as you go through them, I think. Um, and just those small things and... No, honestly, writing has really helped me, um, whether it be, like, sappy, emo, teen poetry, or writing short stories, or just kind of getting the feelings out there so you can claim them as your own without necessarily having them constantly batting around in your brain. 
And sometimes it feels good because you put it down on paper and even though it's horribly sad or it sounds kind of silly, you read it and sometimes it sounds pretty good. And that's a pretty good feeling as well. And it's a feeling of fulfillment that you gain by creating something. And then did you also talk to your friends? Oh, yeah. I mean, my friends are my biggest support, like... I don't, I don't, I wouldn't be who I am without my friends, without my support systems, without my roommates. Um, Every single facet of my social life has been a facet of support. And yeah, I can't believe I didn't touch on that. But yeah, talking to my friends um, and being willing to open up and level with them on a at a higher plane of honesty than you traditionally would just walking down the street. Like, just being like, hey, I'm feeling really depressed today. Or, hey, my anxiety is raging, and I don't know why. But can we just sit and talk about it? Or can we sit and be together? Me and my and my friend Rachel would go on walks down to the Battery or ride our bikes all the way through um, to the ends of the peninsula and around or me and Sean would skateboard around and um, just talk, talk about anything. And being with friends and being in nature, both are also excellent things for, instead of turning inward for that sense of fulfillment, turning outward, where you can kind of tangibly see that you're in a world that is not necessarily of your own creation, but of a greater scheme and that's really powerful too because you can make those connections you can and often your friends will meet you in the middle and be like I'm also feeling this way and let's talk it out like I feel the same way and it's awful but we can be here together and we can just sit in this together or I don't really know what you're feeling but I will sit in this with you and be your support and Then there's also moments where you just kind of get to go out. I go out and I know my mom hates this. She hates that I do it. But I go out and I skateboard and I just move and glide and feel free and the sun is setting. And you can kind of feel the transcendental value of life within those moments. And those are also within the moments of connection with your friends. And those are also in the moments of um of writing when you feel as though you've made something that's worthwhile and all of those are kind of feelings of transcendence which I think give life a greater meaning that are more alleviating than the momentary relief that you get from smoking or drinking or something love that those were great tools oh my gosh I love it So the people that, and now I want to go to somebody who's listening who's maybe was supposed to graduate as well from high school or from college or from uh, community college, whatever it is. You're supposed to have this momentous occasion. You're supposed to have a wedding or you were supposed to have a baby shower. You're supposed to have something momentous to celebrate. And because of this pandemic, it didn't happen. And I think a lot of people are depressed about it and... I hate to say having a pity party, but definitely having pity parties and just can't get out of it. What has been the thing that's propelled you forward to actually have smiles on your face every day, even though she does go to her room a lot, but she has a smile on her face every day. 
what has been the propelling factor? How have you not felt like this whole sense of like, oh my gosh, woe is me, this sucks, this is my life sucks or all that? I mean, I'm not going to say that I haven't felt that way because in all honesty, this is an unprecedented amount of sucking, um, I think. (laughs) I think that um, we're in this moment. (laughs) It's kind of fun to think about it historically because we're in this moment that no one in the past century has really lived in and no one has lived in it quite in the same way as we have, where we have all of these forms of communication, which are extremely valuable through technology and social media and what have you. Um, They're extremely powerful and they make you feel less connected uh, or not less connected, more connected maybe than who who was uh, in quarantine during the pandemic or uh, the influenza pandemic or the Black Plague. Um, But so those are good things that I can actually connect and talk with my friends and they have been a lifeline through this. I'm not going to lie. I've been struggling. I've had a resurgence of my depression and of my anxiety um, and of feeling extremely uncertain in this, uh, both in this environment generally of being in um of being in a global pandemic because it's incredibly uncertain but also being in a position where I was about to graduate college and go into the workforce and sort of figure out my future but all of that has kind of been put on hold which is unsettling but it also kind of leaves out this space for creativity where we can kind of hone in on what we really want to do. Like I have like I have a paper that I wasn't happy with that I turned in at the end of last semester. And I emailed my professor and I was like, can I rewrite it? I have time. I'm literally not doing anything else. I am going to rewrite this paper and I'm going to still strive to find that fulfillment. Um, I... I wish I had more words of wisdom to say about the letdowns other than hoping that as we get further in the future, all of those moment monumental occasions that we were going to going to experience now or in the near future or in the near past, everything that was going to happen that isn't going to happen uh, because we can't be a collective humanity or we're striving to be a collective humanity while all being extremely individual and extremely isolated at this moment. I think it's going to make all of those other occasions so much sweeter to relish in the beauty of being together and being a collective humanity and being in a space where there's a lot of energy from a lot of people and being in a space where you can just not necessarily where you don't have to be stuck by yourself even like I had this wonderful like zoom graduation where my where the professors of my women and gender studies department made us virtually walk across the cistern which is where you traditionally walk over when you graduate from the College of Charleston and they did a little faux graduation for us and like my head just floated across <laughs> it and it's moments like those that you're like okay so this still sucks but that was really nice and I feel fulfilled in my heart space 
for having been given a gift such as that that wouldn't be given to any other class. So it's kind of trying to find the positive and sifting through all of the um, sediment, sediment for the gold that you can find and also looking forward because at some point this will end and we don't know what all the repercussions will be. We don't know what's going to come next, but it certainly is going to be better than being completely isolated and I feel like everything is going to be that much sweeter after. I love your positivity. I wonder where she gets it from. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, I was happy to. It was great. It was really great. Yeah. It was really good. This is the second time she's been on her third, maybe. I don't know. Buddhism and with Jill. Oh, yeah. So she's been on it this third time. Well, congratulations again on your graduation. I'm very Thank proud you. of you. Thank I'm you. very, very proud of you. I think you're a rock star. Thank you. I so, think you're a rock star. I think you're a rock star. And so anybody that's out there that's feeling alone, please reach out because I will respond. I promise. My email address is busy, B-I-Z-Z-Y, at busylivingsober.com. If anybody wants to talk to Hadley, you can send me a message there too, yeah. and I'll forward it to her. She's got my contact information. I do have your contact information. And um, until next time, keep getting busy. Living sober. Sober. Give me five. That was a good one. Thanks, everybody. Take care.